to the Hacking Your Health podcast with Ben Kenning and Dave Kennedy. Two guys heading out to hack body, mind, business, and beyond. We are here to provide a single source, bullshit-free guide to understanding your body and how you can live better for longer. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. I'm Ben Canning. I'm Dave Kennedy. And we are in Belfast. We're in Belfast. the Bats, And this is Hacking Your Health Podcast, our first live audience episode because we have Mark McCracken here who is just out of shot. Hello. <laughs> I don't know Hello. if I know. I'll have to add that in. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Hello in the background. No, a special thanks to Mark for actually setting this up. We're, uh, in a we really look like awesome. we're legit. Yeah, this Proper is actually legs. a really cool so setup. Yeah, except your chair is smaller. So. Yeah. For those that are watching the stream, uh, Ben is around the same height as me, but the oh, chair yeah. is actually smaller, so I look bigger. So as soon as I got here, I picked and cleaned the biggest chair so I could be taller than Ben. Uh, so at least we have that going for us, which is great. But you've got to go for you. I got to go for me. That's all I care about, so we're good. But anyway, this is how I can help folks. <laughs> I'm going to ask you what's been going on with your week, but I've been with you all week, so we got it all week. Let everybody else know what's been going on this week. Yeah, so it's been a, been a great trip. Uh, we started off uh, our trip uh, meeting each other in uh, Brussels, Belgium, and, uh, you know, everything actually worked pretty well, although I had to, you know, I'll say training helps you in multiple aspects in life, especially as you're going through European customs and security. Um, we had a medical emergency on our flight, and we uh, were an hour delayed taking off, and by the time we got there, as soon as we landed, is uh, it started boarding in 15 minutes, and I don't know if anybody's ever been to Heathrow, uh, but it is not a small airport. And if you're in a different terminal, it is a chore to get there. So I was in terminal three and I had to get to terminal five and I had 15 minutes before they started boarding, which, you know, you probably have about 30, 45 minutes or so after that. And uh, I sprinted to get to terminal five, but you have to take a shuttle. And there was a line, of course, going through the shuttle. So I had to wait for that line and then I get into the shuttle and it's like a 20-minute drive just to get from Terminal 3 to Terminal 5. So I'm sweating this whole time. I'm like, there's no way I'm making this. And the cool part was the as soon as I got out of the gates, the airport attendant, uh, you know, the, the flight attendant was like, hey, if anybody's going to the Brussels flight, you're not going to make it. We re rebooked you for a 550 flight, which was like seven hours later. So I was going to have to send, spend seven hours in Heathrow. And I'm like, well, challenge accepted. So I, uh, I get all the way to Terminal 5. They're already boarding at that point in time. Then I get to the customs line, and it was just, I mean, there must have been a 1,000 people all packed into this tiny spot. I'm like, there's no way. This is going to be at least an hour for me to have to go through this. And I saw a sign that said, uh, Fast Track UK uh, people only, UK um, um, folks only. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm kind of originally from here. Like, you know, even though I was born in the States, I'm like, you know, I'm pretty much you know, European at this point in time for my lineage. So I was like, I'll give it a shot. So I ran through there. I'm like, listen, my flight is boarding right now. And the uh, security guard was super awesome and let me through. And then I had to go through a second security line, which of course doesn't go. And I'm just sitting there sweating bricks. And of course, like it's super slow to go through the check marks. And I finally get there and I sprint to the gate. And she's like, you literally made it with a minute to spare because we were closing the gates right now. And I made my flight. Now, what that meant though, is my bags did not make it. So I didn't get my bags to the next day. And I don't know if anybody's ever lost their bags before, but it's like, it's like your only thing that you have that's like close to home. So you're like 
man, like my vitamins, my protein, my, my change of underwear, you know, like all of that's out the window now. So I didn't have that till the next day, but uh, it was all good. I ended up working out. So what you're saying is we need to release a report running program. Yes. Times where people can do training whenever they need to run. I think that'd be, have you ever seen, there's like a couple of YouTube short videos where it has a guy um, carrying a luggage bag and he's on a oh, treadmill and he's yeah. running yeah. with this. You'll be in a race. 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 You'll be in a you know, I got to uh, hang out with a good buddy of mine, Wim, and uh, I got to meet Wim, and uh, we did some awesome touring. Wim was a great uh, tour agent uh, for uh, for Belgium, so we got to go to different places, see some really awesome uh, churches and history and things like that, and uh, the massive uh, boat of sushi, and then the like twenty course meal that we ate as well. So I think today's podcast is really going to be about how do you manage a boat of sushi. <laughs> And a 20 course meal and still keep that within the confines of what you should normally do. Cause it is possible to do, believe it or not. So, and a Belgian waffle. Yeah. The Belgian waffle was good. I think the, well, I want to talk about the things that I learned about you while we were in Belgium. So number one, you like castles and churches. I didn't know that. So I think the more time that we actually spend in person together, the more fucked up the relationship <laughs> in terms of not. But we did, we went to see some cool churches. Um, you learned I'm no scared of clowns. I learned to scared of clowns. <laughs> yeah. um, you learned that I like to wear female deodorant. Yep. So, you, so Ben wears female deodorant if uh, anybody wanted to know that. We're, we're at the, the supermarket, which is not the same as a supermarket in the United States. I just want to throw that out there. Um, and uh, he goes and gets uh, women's you know deodorant. I'm like, it's like a flower... He's like, I've been doing it for like 10 years. It's, it's what I do. I'm like, it was pomegranate and it was dope. And anybody who's listening, he actually does use female deodorant. They will fully understand. Yeah. Yeah. See, Mark. Yeah. yeah. See, there you go. And at least I don't wear females on the road. I mean, that's definitely a plus. You wear females on the road too? No. Oh, okay. All right. No. no. But yeah, I think the, the trip, thanks to Wim. I don't know if Wim is listening, but thanks to Wim. Um, I got to go to my first security conference, which was an experience in itself. And I'll tell you, if there's ever a situation that you want to feel completely out of your comfort zone, if you're not in information security, you should go to an information security conference. I had a fucking clue what anybody was talking about. I got cornered by a guy who was, he showed me a book. I don't know if I told you this real story. He showed me a book and he was like, have you seen this book? And it said model threatening. And I was like, no. Threat, threat modeling. See? Threat That's modeling. How much yeah. Threat modeling. He was like, have you seen this book? I was like, no. He was like, you know what threat modeling is? I was like, no. And then he was like looking at me and like, okay, well, like, what area of InfoSec do you work in? I was like, um, well, a lot of my clients are in InfoSec. And he was like, okay, as if like this is positive. And he's like, what, what do you do for them? I'm like, like personal trainer. And he was like, why are you here? <laughs> and I'm like, with Dave. And he was like, right. So you coach Dave? And I was like, yeah, yeah. What do you coach him in? I was like, I mean, it's, it's a hard. So I need to, I need to navigate what my, my intro is. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like when people ask me what I do and why yeah. I'm in places, I need to have that locked down. Um, but yes, it was definitely an interesting, it was definitely an interesting experience. Thank you. Um, so we, we went to BrewCon, uh, which if anybody hasn't had a chance to check it out is a phenomenal conference in Belgium. It used to be in Ghent, uh, or Gent, Ghent, I don't know how you pronounce that, but, uh, then it moved to another smaller, um, type of town and it's actually in a brewery, which is really cool, an old brewery. And, um, thought it was a really awesome venue. A lot of amazing talks. I'll tell you, um, I feel like European talks are just always rich with content and 
you know, heavily technical backings and things like that. So some really great researchers, some really great um, talks they put together. I was very fortunate to be the keynote uh, this year. So talking to everybody is about 500 attendees. And um, it was great to, you know, come in, uh, look at it from a health perspective as well, you know, making sure we still hit the gym. Uh, we we end up using our, um, well, for one, we found an awesome gym that Wim belonged to that was amazing. And then uh, we also uh, lifted in the, uh, hotel gym as well, which, you know, you're limited in what you can do there, but we had a great arms, arms workout that day. And, uh, you know, again, trying to find the time and making sure you still fit in this lifestyle along with the business aspects of things, which is I had to prep for a, you know, a presentation. I had to make sure I got it done and ready, you know, um, spent some time making sure that the, um, the actual presentation itself was, was on par for what I would do, but also focusing on the health aspects of things as well. So, you know, and I think a nice, blend of all of the above. And the first time I've actually done international travel when I've been on this type of lifestyle too. So learned a lot of lessons. Uh, we can talk about that, you know, baking calories and what does that mean? And what do we do to really kind of adjust our schedules to be able to accommodate, you know, going out to a really nice meal that had literally like 20 courses to go and eat um, or eating a full sushi boat that, you know, was 100% just 300 calories, all protein. So, you know, how do you manage uh, those different types of, of you know, things that you're faced with when you're in busy travel and being able to manage that in time. Yeah, I think the, the I guess the what we want to talk about is being able to manage that with travel, but not specifically just because we've done a, a podcast episode obviously about conferences and survival guides and whatever else. But I think for you and I thinking about it from a we still had a business to manage. We still had work to do. We still wanted to enjoy actually being away, being able to do things like within, you know, culturally or, you know, like food-wise, we still wanted to train in. So there was a lot of things to manage. And we didn't we didn't have like a lot of time. So mm-hmm. we were in Belfast, I guess, for like three days. Yeah. And then we have been in Belfast, I guess, for two days. Mm-hmm. So how do we navigate that? And how do we manage all that? And how do we prioritize different things while still be able to actually enjoy life, eat Belgian waffles, drink Belgian beer, and not, you know, not have to feel like we're missing out on anything or not have to feel like we have to restrict ourselves or avoid yeah. things because we are health and fitness people. Yeah. I think that was a cool part is, you know, when you, you, you were still on calls, you were still doing check-ins, you know, you were managing your business aspects. I had to go right after my talk, you know, we, we hung around there for a little bit and hung around the conference, but then we had to bounce back to Brussels, which was like a 45 minute drive, which I think we did like eight times. And, um, you know, I had, a, I had an hour and a half long call I had to take for, for one of my companies. So, you know, it's still a, a busy flow of things that you have to deal with. But at the same time, you know, we had planned our day appropriately the day before to make sure, hey, we know we're going out for a big meal or we know we're going out to the gym uh, at these specific times. Let's plan that, you know, around what we have to do for our busy day to day and still make sure that we're able to maintain the level of effectiveness that we want to and not miss out on the gains or, you know, reverting back to a certain you know type of thing. But you know, making sure that, you know, hey, yeah, we're busy. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, but you're still making time for yourself to, to hit that that level. Yeah, I think, well, the, I don't know about you, but the hardest thing that I had to navigate was different time zones, and this probably yeah. goes back to being in Nashville too. So being in a different time zone and operating your calendar in a different time zone, and I will be the first to admit, I did fuck one of my calls up because of where we were and the time zone difference and I had to reschedule it. Thankfully, the person that was on the other end of the call was happy enough to do that. But aside from that, there was no issues, and I think that I've always said that 
whatever job or whatever that I did for a living, I wanted to have freedom with. And I know that people will think, well, you don't really have the freedom because you always have to work whenever you're traveling. Like, as long as I have my laptop with me, I can work and be wherever I want. And I think that, you know, the past, well, I guess the past month for me has been a testament to that and being able to do it. So as long as I have my laptop and I sort of prioritize actually time to get working, whether it's first thing in the morning before we get up and we're always doing coaching or whatever, or if it's in between times after the conference and we just say, look, you need to go and do work. You can do it upstairs with Dell, I'll sit downstairs with Dell, we do work and then we're going to go for dinner after. Like, it's just about knowing that you still have shit to do and not just abandoning everything because you're like, fuck it, I'm in, I'm in Europe. Yeah, and I, I mean, you're a good testament to that because, I mean, you literally have been everywhere the past month uh, traveling back and forth. And I've, I've been under that pretty heavy travel schedule too. And managing that time and effort is definitely something that is a big part of it. I, um, you know, every, whether I'm going to New York or next week, I'll be in uh, Gurkhan and uh, Wild West Hacking Fest. And I'm already planning my times and lifts. And it's funny because people are now hitting me up. They're like, hey, what, what time are you going to go lift? You know, I'd like to go lift with you. I'm like, sounds good to me. Let's figure it out. Let's work it out. So, you know, I think it's that prioritization around what you're doing and how you do things that, that becomes important. And, you know, when we started looking at our days, we knew that. You know, with Wim, for example, we were going to go out to a fairly large dinner uh, that night. So that day, we literally didn't eat anything uh, other than a little bit of protein. I would say I don't want to be an advocate for not eating. I think we both just made the decision that Wim had told us about the restaurant. It was like a set menu, and there was genuinely maybe 20 different courses. And I was like, I'm a big fan of trying to work out how many calories things are, and I didn't advocate that. But that is just a shit show that I didn't want to deal with. I was like... I could get away with fasting for the majority of the day and just eat that whole meal. So yeah. maybe a level of extreme that people don't need to go to, and it could be a case of just pull back the day before or the day of. But I think we both were under the agreement that it was best that we didn't eat. And that gets into the the discussion of banking calories, which is you know if you know you're going to have a family meal, and especially very relevant uh, with all of the different holidays that are coming up around Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of those different things. You know if you're going to have a big family meal and you know that you're going to be above your caloric intake for that day you know, shave calories off the day before or the week before, you know, slowly at a time. So let's say you bank, you know, 200 calories a day for five days. You know, you got an extra, you know, X amount of calories that you're able to work with. You have an extra thousand calories that you have to work with. Um, very similar thing that we did. You know, I know my limit is around 2,500 calories a day right now. So, you know, when I looked at the meal that we we're having, it's probably going to be around 2,000 to 2,500 calories uh, or more uh, for that matter. Um, and so I wanted to you know, eat less the day before and then, you know, not really eat much that day. And then from there, started eating the calories that I needed to. So you can definitely play with it. I mean, you don't have to fast the whole day and not eat anything at all. Um, but I'll tell you, it wasn't hard at all to do. It was, you know, we were so busy with everything going on that food was kind of just a, a side topic. We had some coffee, I think. And then I think before we worked out, we had like a protein bar. So after we worked out, we had, a, we had a protein bar and that was literally all the calories we had for that day. And then we went into that, that big meal, which, you know, I felt like, um, it was almost like a feast, right? It was like, you know, we had not eaten all day. Our bodies were hungry. We had worked all day long. And this was kind of like the celebration of that. And, you know, it kind of goes back to our tribal times of a big feast you hear in like the movies and things, but it actually is relevant to modern history where, you know, people would be out fighting all day and wars or things like that. And they come home to a massive feast. Um, that was a very common thing, common practice. And so kind of getting back to our old school roots and, and going to that and, and uh, being able to eat a really good uh, dinner, which was an amazing, it was, uh, as amazing. It was an experience yeah. more than anything else. And I see one thing that, that I sort of felt like I, when we were on the way to the restaurant, again, another 45 minute journey, um, I was actually hungry. And it's not very often that I feel hunger. And I realize that that's maybe a ridiculous thing to say, but because, you know, 
the nature of the way that we sort of structure food and that we eat, like I eat quite regularly, so I never have really that feeling of hunger. So I was actually hungry and I was actually looking forward to each meal. Now, the things that they were bringing out for anybody who's looking were a bit precise, like yeah. maybe an inch in diameter, but so much flavor, like almost like art that you're eating. Yeah. Like, I sort of thought that as like looking at the thing and like it's definitely taking, you know, three people at least 30 minutes to make this one thing. I'm just going to have a one bite here without any sort of regard for them at all. Um, but yeah, actually going into that, you know, it was, like I said, it was an incredible experience. Um, and I'm glad that we did bike the calories because yeah. I don't know if I would have felt any different if I had eaten through it today. Well, it's funny. It's, it's very similar to uh, when we ate at Hugo, not Hugo. 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 Uh, I, I got corrected that it's not Hugo, it's Hugo. Um, but, you know, that day, again, we didn't eat much throughout the whole day, uh, knowing that we were going to have a big meal and eating out. And, uh, I mean, that's kind of what you have to think about when you manage it. You know, if you're, for me, if I'm traveling by myself and I'm not going out with friends and things like that, or not taking me to a menu, like, I like going to, like, a place that just is going to have a nice big steak, maybe some sweet potatoes, and then you know, some veggies and that's a good solid, you know, meal that's going to be from a macro breakdown perspective, very efficient. But when you're going to more of like a, a tapas type of place where they have, you know, various little plates and things like that, the, the macros become much more difficult to track because it's not sim- simplified food. It's, you know, it's going to have a lot of ingredients. It's going to have a lot of different things going on, probably a lot of butter. Um, and so you have to plan that accordingly and kind of just guess is the best way of doing it around how many calories you think you're going to be putting in at that time. And it's obviously not anywhere near an exact well, science. How did, how did you track How did you track the meal that we had in the full time? 300 calories, 300 calories <laughs> all protein. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just put in quick ads and I just put in 2,500 calories. Yeah. That I mean, I don't know if that's what it was or what, but it just gave me something to put in. Yeah, and I still I still logged it just to keep it with that mentality, but I just put it in as Cocoa Pebbles protein because I think the, the macro accounts aren't going to be anywhere near what it needs to be, but at the same time, I still I'm still logging, still keep kind of keeping up with that habit. Now, when I ate at other places that I could calculate the food, um, I would enter that in 100%. Like I had an Anabar, so I'd obviously calculate that, or I'd go and have a certain type of sandwich that would have the, the breakdowns in the back. Um, all of those things, I think, are, are still important for you to track as you're going along, but knowing that, hey, there are going to be some meals that I'm just not going to be able to do if I'm going out. Even if it's not travel, I'm just going out you know, with your partner or things like that um, allows you to you know, have that freedom and flexibility based on knowing that you're going to have a big meal at night, eat a lot less during the day before. Your body doesn't know the difference between, you know, when you're eating in eight hours later or six hours later, it's calories in versus calories out. So at the end of the day, the more calories you bank, the more you have to be able to play with and flex with. Yeah, I think there's there's two points I want to touch on that. I had a call with Lou actually when we were still in the gym. Um, and I, I was talking to him about banking calories and I was talking to him about tracking food whenever you're out and about. And I could tell his frustration because he wasn't able to get it perfect. And I think that that's a, that's a, obviously because we look at a lot of data and try and manage a lot of data and information, that's probably a big struggle for people within the industry because everything, they tend to want everything to be perfect and have the data exact or what the most point on it. And I think that that's something you definitely need to detach yourself from yeah. with using my fitness pal because whether I track something and I actually scan the barcode, whether it's exactly like that or not is irrelevant. It's just having that as a gauge of it's the same thing each time you track it or whatever else. So for me, with the bank of calories thing, there's two ways that I would look at it. Number one, bank of calories. So either do it, as you mentioned, you know, take 200 calories off each day and know that you have a thousand calories extra. The way that I would sort of generally program it or generally suggest to do it is up to 20% of your calories up to three days before, which can give you quite a lot of calories. Because if you do that, that's uh, 500 calories a day 
So an extra fifteen hundred on top of your twenty five hundred is going to give you four thousand dollars. That's a lot to play yeah. with in terms of the day. So there's, there's a lot in that. And then you can either eat less throughout the day as well, try and focus on your protein, make sure you tick that box, and then get to the meal. And if it is something like you had a steak last night, you would be able to track that because it would have told you the weight of the steak on the menu, and you could track it, add the butter in, and everything else that you have inside. Or you could just know that you have. 2,500 or 3,000 calorie bank and be okay with not tracking that meal and actually just go and enjoy it because they think that sometimes we can get caught up in just the data and wanting the numbers that we sort of forget to be present within the meal or whatever else. So sort of decide what you want to do and that's why I just did this sort of open calorie thing um, for that whole number one. I mean, absolutely no way I could even begin to, I don't even know what the food was I was eating, but um, yeah, so you can be present and not get too caught up in, in the data because I think that that's often something that people miss is they oh, I need to I need to have these numbers when in actual fact if it's one meal out of the twenty odd meals that you have in a week maybe not like it. Yeah and there's um there's also some things to, to take in consideration too. If you're gonna be doing it more on a fasted state where you're not eating anything in the morning or afternoon, I'd highly recommend um supplementing with essential amino acids or branched chain amino acids. Um we'll get into the discussions of why that's important, especially in the morning. Uh but the latest latest episode of, of Dr. Etia's The Drive um, talks about uh, muscle deterioration or muscle catabolism, where your body's basically breaking down muscle until you have certain amounts of protein sources. And your branching amino acids are going to be the amino acids that basically get extracted from the meat or things you're eating from a protein perspective that allow you to build muscle and to stop that muscle catabolism um, type of effect. So we'll get into more discussion later on the podcast on that. But one thing is, if you're um, in a fasted state. This is uh, somewhat up for debate on whether or not uh, amino acid drinks uh, break a fast. Like the, the fasting purists will say, yes, it does. But for the intents and purposes of what you're trying to get out of fasting, it doesn't typically. Um, a lot of the science is still coming out around does like sucralose and uh, aspartame and things like that actually spike glucose. And in some people it does, some people it doesn't. But at the end of the day, it's a very quick spike up and then it shoots back down because your body realizes that it's not actually... Um, uh, you know, uh, glycogen that needs to be uh, popped into your body or, or sugar that is being actually used for your body. Um, and so, you know, typically you're going to be fine drinking an amino acid uh, while in a fasted state. And that's actually really important to um, maintaining your goals for muscle mass growth and making sure that you maximize the mTOR process, which is protein synthesis and muscle, uh, muscle growth. Um, so all those things, I think when you're in a fasted state, still try to consume, you know, amino acids, or if you're eating very little amounts, Focus on protein centric um, type of of things so you can you know continue to grow uh, from a muscle mass perspective and then you know from there eat eat your big meals. Yeah, I think I mean, well, I guess talking about amino acids, we've got the term helmies today. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that was uh, that was an experience, man. I mean, Helmy is a big boy. I mean, he really is. Like <laughs> you have said it time and time again, yeah. but he is definitely. <laughs> it's well, I know that you were looking forward to it. So I was. Was it? Was it? everything that you imagined it to be? It was, it was more than that because, you know, for one, uh, I got picked up with Ben and Helmy. And so Helmy picked this up in his car. And uh, so I got to hang out a little bit there. And then we went to a supplement store and I bought, you know, a bunch of pre-workout, which I already have a million things of pre-workout. But of course, what's, you know, five more, um, you know, what's five more amino acids? What's five more, you know, whatever. I got to got to figure out where to put that. But um, without Aaron, how do you get it home? How do I get it home? And how do I hide it from Aaron so that I don't get in trouble? 
Um, be like, oh, look, I brought you this pre-workout. It's from home. <laughs> <laughs> I actually told the kids, I'm like, hey, kids, I got you guys a surprise. I'm just going to show them the amino acids. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it was really cool to go to the store, you know, where you guys typically go get your supplements from. A uh, really neat, neat place. It was like in the middle of like a, a warehouse tucked away way in the back. So it was kind of neat where that was at and everything. And then um, to actually go to Helmy's gym, which he's got his own uh, private gym, which is like a dungeon. Um, it's really cool. And uh, it's like it's like a like an old school bodybuilder's gym, you know. Like he's got all of, like the rusted out uh, iron and also new stuff too. But like it just reminded me of like uh, if if I could picture Helmy's gym, yes, this is exactly what I picture Helmy's gym to look like. And um, Helmy is a monster uh, when it comes to one. You know, I was telling Ben this earlier. You, you see a lot of bodybuilders that look amazing, but from a strength perspective don't have a lot of strength. You know, just because you have big muscles doesn't actually equate to strength. There are two different types of muscle fibers. And, and a lot of times bodybuilder will focus on um, the, uh, not the fast twitch fibers, but the short twitch fibers. Um, and those are the ones that grow in mass and size, whereas fast twitch fibers are going to be more of your explosive strength, those types of things. And um, Helmy, I can honestly say is a combination of both. Uh, he is extremely strong. Uh, and he's extremely large. So it's it's rare to see a combination of both of those. And I mean, when I say he's extremely strong, I mean, the guy was doing 670 pound deadlifts for like eight reps. I was just like, what in the hell is going on here? And it, it's such a violent move, like when he's doing it. I, like It's like I was transported back to like caveman days and, you know, where, where you're, you're mauling a bear for meat. And, uh, you know, Helmy's there just like destroying these these uh these weights it was uh it was awesome to see and he's he's awesome he's a great guy real kind-hearted down to earth um was really impressed uh with him and, and great workout too i we were trying to cross the street earlier today and we had a we had a rush to run to get there and i'm like there's no chance that my body's gonna run right now it's like it, my, my my body actually told my mind you're not running it was it wasn't the opposite of me trying to do it my my failing my body actually said nope not happening don't even think about it it pre it preempted it that I was gonna do it so I'm definitely sore but it was, it was it was a great time yeah I think the what's funny about training with different people and I can relate this back to when we were in Nashville because obviously with everything there is levels to the game so while you and i were training and you know some of the guys were watching us and we're like fuck you know really strong and blah 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 which is so cool obviously because yeah, yeah. it's great for people to sort of absolutely aspire to be as yeah. strong as you are and everything else i just think about fucking how many whenever i'm training him and i'm like there is so much more to this yeah. like there's so much more to progress into it and i also think no one helped me and no one like i've obviously trained with them and listen so much of times Dennis is probably the it's probably the best session you could have done with him because I you've heard us talk about before um training and intensity. And I don't think it's necessarily something that you can teach without witnessing it. And if there's somebody who goes to a place and he was in a place. <laughs> he was in a place. He, like he, has a place. The, he has the ability because even like if we if we sort of like set the scene with it, you know. Generally, how many will train with like metal music on or somebody screaming or something certain, but we weren't. It was like it's like Cindy Lauper, yeah. and Elvis, sure, and Cher. Sure. So it was like he yeah. has the. Dude, right. when I heard he's sitting there rocking out six seventy to "Do You Believe in Life After Love?" <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This is not what I was expecting. <laughs> so again, I'd like to caveat this by saying, like, 
there are levels to everything. You know, the mindset piece is a big part of it. it Helmy has sort of developed the mindset to be able to go to that place at a switch. And, you know, what he actually said was, it's not necessarily about the music, but the emotion that it brings within him. So that's what he uses in his sets. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to bring emotion and every intensity to your workouts, but I definitely think that the one thing that we could take away from that session is there are a lot more tools in the toolbox that are internal. So like your, I guess your software um, that you can use to increase the intensity of your workouts. And there, in, in my eyes, in the people that I train with, there are not many people that are at that level that can they can bring that level of intensity within the workouts and then just have a normal conversation. It's not like, like that guy, Michael Hearn, that you yeah. talk about is like, you know, we're going to war and it's death this and it's like two hours of just him pissed off at everything. Like how he's able to have a normal conversation after he finishes set. So, it was, it was so a strange thing. The switch. Yeah. Flipping the switch. I mean, um, you, you can even tell like, I mean, as soon as he hit that bar, it was no bullshit. He's in a different mind yeah. zone and he is, I mean, a monster, you know, like all everything that he is, is, is at that point in time, lifting all that weight for as much as he possibly can do and taxing his body as hard as he possibly can for that brief amount of time until he can no longer do it anymore. I mean, in, and seeing a guy as strong as Helmy, you know, go to his knees and drop, you know, because he couldn't do anything more. But then he's like the nicest guy ever right after that. He's like, you know, he's like, thanks, Dave. I appreciate you complimenting me. You know, like, you know, it was, it was, yeah. Fist pumps and everybody's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, like, I'm, I'm done after watching that set. I'm, I'm like, like, I don't want to go after that. I'm like, I don't know what's going on right now. So, but, but it's funny is because we had two bars, one for Helmy and then one for us. <laughs> yeah, but I think that Helmy, um, I obviously, you know, worked with him for a long time. And I think that. Often, whenever you see quote-unquote meatheads or bodybuilders yeah. or big guys, like there is a, a sort of natural prejudice against them. But Helmy is the opposite of yeah. that. Like he is, even in terms of like, he doesn't necessarily preach or promote bodybuilding with his clients. Like he's very much about mindset. He's very much about personal development. And he's very much about, I guess, some of the things that, that, that we've spoken about, about yeah. how you can use the control of your training and nutrition to sort of filter in every other aspect of your life to just become a better person or become better in whatever field it is that you're in. So yeah. it's great to be able to have conversations yeah. like that with him instead of just talking about EAAs and fucking testosterone. What, what I liked about him was, I mean, very approachable. You know, as soon as you met him, his eyes were like, Dave, good to see you. You know, he was very excited. Um, and, uh, you could just ask him anything, like you know. And, and I, I know I asked him like he, he did a weird split, which was he does deadlifts and back, you know, one day. And I was just like, so what's the split? He's like, oh, it's just one that I really like a lot. That you know, I'm already doing deadlifts, starting in my back, so I just do you know back as part of it. And that's kind of how he splits it up. And I also was really surprised um, that he only lifts four times a week. And I mean, help me. If you look at him; he is a big dude. I mean, obviously, what <laughs> I can't emphasize enough how big of a dude help me is like. Like, you know, and you don't appreciate it until he took a shirt off and you can see the cutoff. And I'm like, I like a bet. I'm like, his tricep is bigger than my entire arm. You know, like just the tricep alone is bigger than my entire arm. So, you know, it was, it was really cool experience, but he was real humble down to earth, explained everything. And, uh, even critiquing me, uh, very complimentary. He's like, Hey, try to go back a little bit more, you know, as you're doing, you know, the rows to get a little bit more on your, your lower lats as you're going through this. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks. And so, you know, just real down to earth guy had a great, great training session. And then, um, we, uh, so we did that yesterday with Helmy and, um, I was tired afterwards. I, so 
we went back before we went out to dinner. Uh, so I got to meet all, uh, all well, most of Ben's family. Well, let me raise that. A portion of Ben's family. Um, and we went out to dinner. But prior to that, so I had about an hour and a half or so beforehand. And literally, I got home. I showered. And then I laid on the bed and went to sleep. So I took a nap. I was out. And then Ben texted me. He's like, hey, we're going to be leaving in about a half hour. I'm like, okay, that's 15 more minutes. I can lay down and take a nap for a little bit. So I got a good nap in. And then uh, we went out. But uh, this morning, hit the ground right again for a solid push day. I uh, got to train at Ben's uh, gym, which was really good. And uh, some really cool equipment that I hadn't had the pleasure of actually using before. Um, just modifications to things like the, uh, the incline chest press, which you could have different distributions of weights. So they kind of have like a one, two, and three spot. So if you want to hit different parts of your chest, you load the weights in different areas, which distributes the weight differently uh, based off of the exercise. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, cool little customization around how you can really get a good uh, contraction in the chest in certain areas of the muscle. And then that, um, that pulley machine that had a supported, uh, uh, chest, uh, chest and back, uh, portion. So like a, a little arm came out and it would sit on your chest and you could do, uh, you know, if you do reverse, you um, do it flies, your back is basically up and you're getting a really good, uh, contraction, um, with your chest as well. So really cool equipment that I had never used before. And honestly, you know, if it was my first time going to a place like that, I would not use those machines at all because I didn't want, I wouldn't want to look like an idiot uh, actually like exploring and trying new things. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to use the bench with some dumbbells and then I'm going to use the, the ropes and then I'm good. So, you know, but um, it was cool to have you there and be able to learn a lot more about uh, different movements and exercises. Yeah. I think again, depending on sort of where you're at or what your actual interest level is in training. Cause I realize some people just don't give a shit. They just want to go and get their work with them. But I think for me, Training with other people is an important part of it because, number one, you will learn from watching people. So that's one thing that we sort of picked up on whenever we were in Nashville because yeah. I put everybody in groups. So they were able to see how other people moved and then other people were able to see how they moved and they could have a conversation about it instead of everybody just always yeah. training by themselves. Number two, like you said, training with Helmini is able to sort of give you tips on different things. Yeah. And obviously, it's, you know, you're using different equipment that he's obviously used to because it's his gym. So, him being able to tell you how to get a better contraction on things. That was a weird machine, by the way. The whole thing would, like, move. Yeah. Yeah. So, when you come back, the we didn't warn you about that at all. I was no. like, hey, you just hit that bill and you, like, pull up, but you also, like, come up. <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing, like, rose forward as you're doing it so that you get a better... Um, longer distance with the row back there, and the whole thing was far. I was like, "Whoa!" It was like I'm riding a horse. I was like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah." So being able to do that, being able to sort of train other people, and just sort of, I guess it's just like refining the craft of actually training yeah. and learning the skill of training, and then obviously being able to train in the darkest morning. Like, you know, it is the most condensely packed gym of equipment that I have oh ever God. seen in my entire life. There, um, there is equipment. But it, but I will say, as packed as it was with all the equipment, it wasn't uncomfortable to where you couldn't do the exercise or move, right? So yes, there is a, an ass ton of equipment in there, but and, but really good equipment, by the way, solid. Um, but it was still, I mean, there was a ton of people in there, and we really didn't have any issues with getting equipment or being able to get our spots or those types. I mean, there's some of the stuff that was full, like the chest. Uh, chest machine was was full, um, but I mean, again, we were able to get to it, you know, eventually, and I didn't have any issues there. Yeah, I think that you'll be able to use different equipment and just feel muscles in different ways. So, like you said about the the prime chest press machine, like the way that it sort of tries to allow the weight of the machine to move in line with the strength of your muscle, like you get a much better contraction the whole way through yeah. it, and just being able to to try stuff like that, I think it's cool. And Rob, the guy who owns is the nicest guy, again, um, again, ex-bodybuilder, super, super nice guy, but he's very passionate about 
having the best equipment and everybody in the gym having the best experience. And like genuinely, I've never been a part of a gym or a member of a gym that has invested so much into getting new equipment on a regular basis. Like every three or four weeks, there's a new piece of equipment in there. And I'm talking about it. I'm like looking around and like, where the fuck are you going to put this? This <laughs> is, is absolutely packed. But he always manages to do it. So it's cool to, for me to be able to train in a space like that where the, the owner actually gives so much of shit about, you know, new equipment and everybody having a good experience. Um, and I think this also comes down, and obviously not for me because I train there all the time, but whenever I travel or whenever I go to different cities or whenever I'm on vacation or holiday or whatever we want to say, I always want to train, number one, because it's part of my lifestyle, and number two, because I like experiencing different gyms and I like seeing different gyms. So, you know, you know I've trained quite a number of gyms now, I guess. Um, but being able to see what they have, being able to see how other people train, just getting the experience of being in different spaces, like it's one of the, it's one of my favorite things about what training offers and the relationships you're able to build with people yeah. like you and I, being and me, whatever, just from one common interest of of what to train and whatever else. Like it's, it's a massive part of what training gives you that necessarily you don't think you're getting into whenever you just want to lose weight or muscle or whatever it is. I think that's the cool part about like where I'm at from a training perspective is I feel very comfortable going to gyms now, which I did before. If you listen to the previous podcast, I had a fear of going to gyms that, you know, I'd never been to before. I didn't know the equipment, um, that type of stuff. But I feel very comfortable doing that now. And uh, even when I was in like Austin, the first thing I did, Google where to go, you know, what can I look for? Those types of things, um, you know, and, and just various different gyms and different locations. And what I'm finding now is I, I try to find like a cool looking gym that's near me that I can go experience the culture there, the equipment, you know, what's going to have, you know, the appropriate amount of things that I can use to go and actually leverage that type of stuff. I got to go to the Onnit gym uh, in Austin, Texas, which was really cool, um, you know, to see like everybody there. There was like some famous people from Onnit there and stuff like that. It was kind of neat to see them recording and everything. But, uh, you know, I just kind of need to be able to experience different gyms and, and see what equipment they have and try different things. Um, you know, I'll, I'll typically try to stay within my own comfort zone when it comes to like my workout routines. But if I see a piece of equipment and like, I don't know what it does, or I might hit a muscle group a different way, I'll give it a shot, you know, just to try it out and see how it feels and maybe learn something new. But I think that's like the cool part about travel is I'm getting to experience different gyms now that I've never seen before that I've never been to. Um, and that's really neat. That's fun and exciting. It's something new. I get to learn every single time and I get to go to a place that, you know, there's other people there that have probably been there for a lot, lot longer than I have, obviously. Or But everybody offers day passes. Everybody's super cool when you walk in. They're very appreciative that you're there checking out their gyms. Um, you know, again, it's one of those things that I think works out really well. And it's the same thing, like, you find ones you want to go to. Again, like, I would love to go back again to the Onnit Total Fitness I'm in Austin. You know, like, great, uh, great gym there. Uh, it was a really cool experience. Uh, same thing for the Smash Fitness in Vegas. So you kind of find, like, little homes in different gyms that you like, in different cultures that you like, in different experiences. Like, the Place in Smash Fitness has a smoothie place there, you know, you know, fresh smoothies and protein uh, right there that you get made. And it has, like, a lot of great racks, whereas, you know, you go to, like, Old School Iron, it's, like, a huge, massive bodybuilding, you know, facility with, like, a thousand different machines that are all around there. A very different experience. So I'm finding that as I travel, trying to go to different locations and find different gyms is kind of a, a fun thing that I'll even research, like, days before that I even leave. Uh, so I have a good plan of action of when I actually leave, I get there on site. Like if I get there late, maybe I'll hit the local gym up in the hotel. So I'll make sure that the hotel I'm staying at has at least a decent gym. And then if I'm there for the day, get my work done as much as I can. And after that, go hit a, a real gym that's going to have you know, all the equipment that I want. A, a, real, a real gym or something. I would, say, I would say I'm not a fan of hotel gyms or fitness centers or whatever, but obviously 
with the past third month when I've been traveling, I have trained in quite a few, and you can still get a good workout in in a fitness center at a hotel. And before, I would have just used it as an excuse, being like, no, it doesn't have anything heavy enough, some other fucking bullshit. But you can just go in and make it work. You know, if they've got a table machine or they've got some level of dumbbells, you can do it. So if you need to, you can yeah. still you can still get it done. But I definitely do like researching gyms. And it's cool because, obviously, as the, the more places that we go to and the more sort of the community expands, like we have a point of reference for people as to, okay, right, you live in Texas. Where do you train or where do you recommend yeah. training? I think just what you said, it's cool that, now, if you're speaking in specific places, people are reaching out to you, go and train. Once again, is sort of, yeah, I guess, reinforcing what we're trying to do in terms of make an industry better. So if they're like, okay, you're coming over, I know you're going to be training, can we grab a session or whatever else? So it sort of like reinforces that and, and pushes us further what we're trying to achieve. Well, and I think, um, you know, you start going to these gyms, you start getting more comfortable, like what type of gyms you like and which ones you don't. So you kind of spot those out as you're going through. And it's also neat, like, as you mentioned, like, I'm going to uh, Wildest Hacky Fest and I had a bunch of people reach out to me like, hey, what days are you going to be there? I'd love to go live with you. I love that type of stuff, right? Um, I got to work out with uh, Chris Russell, um, uh, who is awesome to watch. He's from Texas. Um, and great to, you know, get a good lift in with him. I've been wanting to lift with him for a long period of time. So uh, I was going to go work out with Andrew Hay. Uh, unfortunately, he had a, a previous commitment. But, um, you know, those types of things are awesome to be able to lift with people you respect, peers in your industry, you know, people that you work with day in day out that you're seeing their, their journeys and things like that. So I love lifting with other people. And then, you know, I, um, you know, sometimes you get like a, the comment of, you know, Hey, do you mind lifting? But I'm nowhere near as strong as you. It has nothing to do with that at all. So, you know, do not feel like if you're lifting with somebody, you have to be stronger than them or on the same level or anywhere near that. It's not a, a competition with other people. It's where you're at in your own journey and what you do to improve yourself. I would never compare myself to anybody else. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, obviously comparing myself to Helmy is very different, but at the same time, I respect where Helmy's at and how much work and effort it's taken to get to a position like that, develop a mindset like he has and be able to really change. I mean, he's very disciplined. I mean, when I went there, he had all of his meals already prepared, all of his food ready to go. The guy is literally on it all day long, every single day. Right. And that takes a lot of commitment. But when I see other people that are lifting less than me, you know, when I think about that, I'm like, damn, that's awesome. I'm so glad that they're out there lifting. They're lifting that much amount of weight and they're, 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 you know, challenging themselves to get better. I'm impressed. That's awesome. So never compare yourself to anybody else uh, in any way, shape or form. It's all about what you're doing, how you're progressing and making sure that you're seeing yourself progress in a way that allows you to get stronger, to be happier, to live a better life. That's what this is all about. So don't ever feel like if you ever ask me to lift that you have to deadlift X amount of pounds or do a bench press for whatever. And it's funny because like people ask me like, what's your bench press? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't bench press, you know, like, so, you know, for me, it's not a numbers game. It's about, Hey, am I getting stronger? Am I getting better? Am I pushing myself to new limits? I'm definitely going to have to work on the healthy, we should call it the healthy mindset. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing about it is like, and you got the witness, it's like, he almost has a, like a ritual, I guess, coming into training. Like, you know, we got into the gym, he set everything up, he had his pre-workout, he made his intra-workout, yeah. like he goes through like a process. He does. And he, he, he sits down and chills yeah. beforehand, you know, and he just talks no rushing to, him, no rushing to it. He's like, when I feel like I'm ready to go, we're going to go. And then as soon as it's in, it's on, you know? But even yeah. if you, like, if you, we'll have footage of it because obviously Ram was there, which was only in great time. Yeah. But right. he's awesome. through, even whenever he steps to the bar, there's a there's a process and a ritual to that to allow him to get into that space. But I think, you know, even if you're talking about comparison with people, like 
be okay with not being as strong as other people because I've been in that position before where it's just a pissing contest. And yeah. I was talking about you and I, just other people. <laughs> I'm okay with being a pissing contest. But it's, it's, a, it's a very friendly <laughs> pissing contest. But I think the thing, you know, you don't want to go in and go past what you're capable of and end up fucking yourself up. And even yesterday, like, I knew I wasn't at the same level, obviously, as Helmy and obviously as you in terms of deadlift. And I was okay with that. Like, I was working within what I could do and yeah. what I knew I could do. Um, and being okay with that, I think, is is important. And um, I'm not trying to sort of reach levels because of the people you're with and sort of like this right now. But being able to recognize sort of A, where you're at your journey and B, how far you've come in, in whatever it is. So also, okay. I was actually really proud of you on that one too because I know you've had some injuries with deadlifts in the past and it's not a thing that you work on you know, as much as you do everything else, right? I mean, you do all the things, obviously RDLs and things like that, but deadlifting for you has been something that you've been very sensitive about because of, you know, it's, it's obviously shut you out from training for a long period of time. You hit your lower back. I mean, you're, you're fucked for a long period of time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad it wasn't a, you know, a, a competition between anybody. It was what we felt we could do, you know, based off of that. I actually wish I would have went a little bit lighter because I was only able to get like four or five reps from the, from the 500. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still proud of where I was at, but you know, it's just, it just puts in perspective when Helmy's doing 670 for six, you're like, I just did, 500 for five, you're like, it's not anywhere close, but it's amazing to watch somebody like that. It's amazing to watch you and, and you pushing yourself. I mean, it's just all around happiness of where everybody's at and what we're doing. And again, that's what it's all about. I mean, yes, we'll joke around on a competition front. I mean, there's no question, you know, Ben from a back perspective is way stronger than me from a, a chest perspective is way stronger than me. I'm going to be a bit stronger now because of deadlifts, but that's why I, I focus a lot of my time on deadlifts. Like I, for me, that's where I found my home on. And that's what I focus my most efforts on. You know, if I probably have done chest, I could have did the same thing, but it's not like I don't do chest, but my, my main focus is trying to do as much as there, but it's just cool to see everybody's progress and how far everybody's come along and wanted to continue to inspire, to inspire to be better. Right. It's like so next year, next me. year when I, when I train with Helmy, I'm going to be nowhere near him again. Yeah. But I'll, maybe I'll be where Helmy was at a year before, kind of maybe a little bit less than that, but you know, <laughs> yeah. But I think that that is it's it's being able to admire people and what they do and where they're at and sort of aspire to get close to that or in in that range and I think that that's ultimately sort of another avenue to training give you that you maybe don't necessarily think about when it be first step for you too. What was cool too is like uh, you know I could tell and it was the same for me like as soon as we get to like a number like ten. Like okay, we're just got to get to ten and we're done. And Helmy's like, "F that." He's like, "You got three more. You got three more in you." And I saw, I could see, I knew it. I knew it was in me too because I did the exact same thing. I'm like, "Shit, I got three more to do after that." I was like, "I was just going to ten, but we did it right." And it just goes to show you, we could do so much more than what we think we can actually go and do. And I was actually listening to, so I just actually joined Instagram for the first time. Um, ben talked me into it, um, and so now I'm on Instagram. But I was, I was combing Ben's stuff. I was combing Helmy's stuff, and Helmy actually had a. Uh, video uh, up that I thought was really interesting. And there's it's a, it's a big debate on whether or not you go to failure or not, right? You know, whether you go to muscle fatigue to where you can't do anything anymore. And what Helmy was explaining was not everybody needs to go to muscle failure, but eventually, you know, what you're trying to do is fatigue the muscle to where it is required to build stronger, uh, tear it down and build stronger based off of the type of load that you're doing. And he said, you know, you know, when you're initially starting training, you might be able to not go to failure and bank, you know, an extra three or four RPE. I think that it might be available reserves, uh, you know, and, and still get that muscle growth. But, you know, if you ultimately want to build as much muscle as you possibly can, why leave all that on the table, go to muscle failure 
and really start to try to build those muscles and break those muscles down to become stronger. And that's one of the philosophies. If you listen to like Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler never does muscle filler. does it very, very seldomly. He focuses on rep ranges. So he's like, you know, anywhere between eight to 12 was good with me. So he just does eight to 12 rep ranges, eight to 12 rep ranges, eight to 12 rep ranges. And that's all he does all day long. And obviously he's very big, but I think if you want to be a combination of, of um, strong and, you know, uh, big, like more in that power building, that power lifting, that bodybuilding, but that power building, I think, you know, the effort that Helmy puts in from a, you know, max lift perspective and how heavy he was going with it, especially in that six to eight rep range. Uh, and then also going to muscle fatigue to where you can't do it anymore is I think it's really important to maximize your go uh, growth gains uh, from a muscle perspective, which I thought was really interesting to kind of hear his side of the house and obviously whatever he's doing is working really well. Yes, it works for him. But I think the thing is, again, recognizing where you're at in your journey. First of all, you need to learn the skill of lifting and moving the weight, actually being able to contract the muscle to take it to failure. So it's not necessarily about going in and picking up a set of dumbbells and moving them in whatever way you can until you can't do it anymore. You need to do it in a way that you're actually getting the contraction through the muscle. So, it, you know, again, from conversations that I've had from Naomi, if he has someone who's a beginner, he will do a lot more sets and a lot more reps at the start. So yeah. you have more reps in the bank of, okay, right now I actually know what this feels. And to take a set to actual failure is a skill in itself. So it's and number he, one, the mindset thing. Number two, you make sure you're not going to fucking crush yourself yeah. under a bar. And number three, being able to do it in a way that, number one, well, 1A, part 1A, and being able to do it in a way that you feel comfortable that yeah. if you are going to feel that you have someone there or something there to sort of pull you out of it or yeah. support you on it. Like I wouldn't recommend everybody who's listening who trains by themselves in their basement just to put their max load on and go for as many as possible. Like that is not what it's about. It's about doing it in a way that you're in control, the muscle is contracted, and it's about going to muscle failure, not until your body is completely fucked. Right. And that, that's a big balance, right? You're not trying to injure yourself when you're doing this, but you're trying to do it methodically to where you know, your muscles don't have any more ability to go. And then that's what's ultimately going to instruct them to say, hey, I need to be stronger. I need to have more endurance. I need to be able to go longer. You're telling your body, hey, the task at hand that I'm doing, you're not strong enough. I need you to be stronger in order for me to do that. And that's ultimately what we're accomplishing with weightlifting, with our ability to gain muscle, with our ability to put on muscle mass itself. Um, it's such a cool process. And so that'll lead me into the great segue into the Dr. Atia podcast that I most recently listened to. Andrew Huberman, the, 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 the podcast, I cheated on Andrew Huberman uh, on his podcast. Uh, Dr. Athia is really good too. I mean, he um, he runs longevity clinics and things like that. And he focuses more on like the medicine 3.0 type of stuff, which is more so looking at your whole lifespan versus, you know, most of the medical field, which is basically a 10-year lifespan um, of, hey, how do I do quality control within a 10-year period? You know, what Dr. Athia is really big about is, you know, take a look at your blood work and let's balance that blood work early on so that you don't have issues 20, 30, 40 years uh, down the road. And he's always fascinating to listen to. And sometimes, I mean, he's way over my head. He, I mean, he dives down into like some of the crazy science and stuff. I'm like, I have no idea what any of this means, but it sounds awesome. Um, but uh, one of the things that he talked about, which I did not know, uh, he had a guest on, and we'll make sure we link that episode. It's the most recent episode uh, of The Drive, uh, which is another great podcast to listen to. Obviously, listen to us first and then go there afterwards. Um, if you have time, but us first, for sure. Um, but uh, what was really interesting, what we talked about was when we go to bed at night, um, our body turns into basically a muscle catabolism state where it starts to eat away at our muscles, uh, believe it or not. So our muscles basically start to deteriorate a little bit overnight. And that process doesn't stop until we intake protein. 
Uh, so I thought that was really interesting to note that, you know, for me, I, I, I understood how, how protein was important, but my understanding around how the mTOR production worked is that you didn't really know when it was going to happen. So you basically, you know, kind of have protein throughout the day um, so that you can maximize when that protein synthesis would occur in your body and maximize muscle growth. Um, while that's still true, you want to definitely spread protein out throughout the whole day. Um, he also explained that, listen, you're at a, at a, a state where your body's basically breaking down muscle when you first wake up in the morning, it is extremely important to get protein in the morning. And, and he recommends anywhere between 25 and 45 grams of protein at a minimum uh, for your morning protein intake. So, you know, um, if you're listening to this, you know, also uh, augmenting if you're more in a fasted state where you don't eat until maybe later on in the day, supplementing that with essential amino acids is definitely as comparable to that. So, you know, what I would recommend is as soon as you wake up in the morning, grab some essential amino acids or a protein-rich diet, um, you know, protein-rich type of, of, of food, you know, protein shake, whatever, and let your body get out of that muscle breakdown phase and into the muscle building phase, which is what we call mTOR production, uh, which basically instructs your body to start building more muscle. And so he said the two most important uh, meals of the day from a protein synthesis perspective is breakfast and dinner. So having a good amount of protein for dinner and a good amount of protein for breakfast will really ensure that you have there. Now, he said for uh, people that are, are kind of in a maintenance phase, you know, trying to lose weight, anywhere between three to four meals a, a day is typically typical having, you know, 30 to 40 um, or 25 to 45 grams of protein per those meals. He said, if you're in a muscle building state where you're like a bodybuilder or you're trying to put on muscle mass, he said usually six types of meals a day that are in the 25 to 40, you know, five range across the day, spread across the day is really important. He said, but, but spreading that protein out throughout the day, again, augmentation with things like essential amino acids can also help if you don't want to break your fast. Again, I know that's a, a debatable term on whether or not you're breaking your fast through essential amino acids or whatever. You know, if, if you're, if you're, purpose is digestion type of fasting, then yes, technically you're breaking your fast a little bit because you have to digest essential amino acids that's very light on your stomach. But from an actual like fasting perspective and the benefits of fasting, essential amino acids shouldn't have an impact since it's zero calories. Your body isn't burning that, it's maintaining that fasted type of state. Um, so you should be fine on those. What I also liked about the podcast too uh, was that he broke down the theory that you can only get 25 grams of protein per serving, you said that's totally BS, basically, lack for lack of a better term. Your body can handle as much protein as you throw at it. He's like, but you typically want to spread that throughout the day so that you have the ability to really um, handle that protein and that you're kicking off that mTOR production each time that you're eating protein. Uh, so typically spreading it, you know, around, if you have around 45 or 50 grams of protein per setting or anywhere between 25 and 45 was kind of his, his range, but he said he can go higher than that, obviously, he said he wouldn't typically go lower. Um, you're still going to have that that good blend of mTOR production throughout the day for muscle growth. So uh, something I learned new. Uh, so my my daily rituals have changed. I normally what I would do is um, when I go to like Orange Theory, if I'm lifting in the morning, I'd have a really uh, heavy protein centric uh, food afterwards. What I'm doing now is I'm loading with essential amino acids beforehand, doing my workout, and then protein afterwards, uh, so that I'm still kickstarting that process with my essential amino acids in the morning, and then hitting getting a great lift in. And then what I also said is. Um, from a lifting perspective, um, lifting, uh, drinking protein during lifting didn't really have a major benefit, but drinking protein afterwards was extremely critical to ensure that your body is instructed to kick off that mTOR process as your muscles are fatigued, uh, amplifies the muscle growth state for your muscles to have adequate protein versus breaking down. Um, so again, 
that post-workout protein shake, extremely important, uh, or protein centric, you know, uh, meal doesn't have to be protein shake, uh, extremely important post-workout, which, uh, again, we all kind of knew, but again, backing with science is always great. Yeah. Yeah. Should we finish off with some tips to navigate managing business and fitness where we go? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, uh, well, you go first, you go first. I think the main thing that you've spoken about before is trying to keep your routine as much as possible. So it doesn't need to, because you're in a different city or a different country, be a total shit show. Like you can still sort of navigate things on the same sort of time frame and time schedule. Um, plan ahead, obviously, to know when you're going to be busy, when you're going to not be in control, and when you are in control of your actual time, when you can get your workouts in and what that looks like. Plan ahead in terms of knowing the sort of times that you're not going to be in control of your food, so you maybe need to go back on calories. Knowing the location that you're in and what's around it in terms of what's available from a food perspective, and then knowing the location in terms of, am I going to have to train in a hotel gym, or is there a pill gym that I want to train in yeah. whenever I'm on the bike? And still sort of setting time aside, whatever it is, to get work done and get business done or whatever it is. I think for me, you know, regardless of what I'm doing. So like, uh, I fly back from Belfast Monday and I get back at like five o'clock at night. The first thing I'm going to do, go home, you know, shit, you know, see the kids, see my wife, grab some dinner and then I'm hitting the gym. Right. No question about it. I know my gyms miss me. They're FaceTime. My, my, my weights have been FaceTiming me every so often. I might, my son actually going downstairs and checking on them to make sure everything's fine. But, uh, um, you know, I, it, it's, it, I've talked about this before in the past, but the workouts, the lifts, those types of things are non-negotiable. And it's something that I have to do as part of my day-to-day routines. Um, and so actually, interesting enough, uh, Friday, we missed our lift because our flights got canceled. Um, and we had to basically wait a bit to go. And we were like in limbo between not being at the, at the hotel and our flights not being there. So we got back very late um, into Belfast on Friday. So we didn't get our lift in. It was just a, a, a plethora of issues. So normally Friday would be, you know, my push day, but then Saturday we lifted with Halloween. Today would be my rest day. Guess what we did today? We lifted today on our rest days because we missed that Friday day. So, and we would have lifted anyway, to be honest with you. If we lifted Friday, we also lifted Saturday and Sunday. There's no question about it. But, but again, you know, uh, getting those workouts in when you can, knowing that you're not going to miss those, or you absolutely have to miss them, making them up in some way, shape or form. I think, again, we all think that we're too busy with our schedules and everything else. and We don't make time for ourselves, whereas the time for ourselves, the, the amount of effort that we're putting in is the most important piece of it. When I get back Monday, I have a meeting all day Tuesday. I'm waking up at 5 a.m. I'm hitting that gym as hard as I possibly can so that I'm knocked out for the rest of the day. I'm ready to go and I can enjoy the rest of it. I know it's going to be a big meal towards the end, so I'm going to bank calories, bring a lot of protein-centric things throughout the day. Uh, and then I'm going to go have a nice meal at the very day, uh, end of that with a, a big meeting. So... That type of planning and managing that from a business perspective is absolutely doable. Whether you know it's a lunch break where you're getting your lift in, whether it's you know at night after everybody's gone to bed, whether it's first thing in the morning, I find for me, uh, I, I generally wasn't the type of person that would knock it out first thing in the morning. But since my routines and habits have changed, I'm enjoying working out first thing in the morning first because no one's up and running. I don't have any distractions. I can spend more time, you know, focusing on my workout routines. All of those things, I think, you know, are my routines that I've been able to put into my own lifestyle. What can you do to maximize yours? And we're all busy. We all have different things. But again, I'm running, you know, several companies. You know, I'm internationally traveling. I'm dealing with all those different situations. I'm busy all the time. But at the end of the day, I still have time for myself. I still have time to get the lifts in when I need to. And it's a prioritization of mine. It's not something that goes by the wayside. The first thing I get off the plane, I'm like, 
where am I going to go lift? How am I going to go lift? When, where, where's where's the protein? Where is the protein and where's the gym? I lost all my protein because it was, you know, it was in my carry on bag. So still got my lift in, still found some protein uh, and it all worked out. Believe it or not, you can still find protein in Belgium, uh, which I would say was not a very, um, like all the gyms there were very uh, cardio centric. So I'm really glad Wim was able to, like, it was lit- like literally like two gyms that we could find that had actual with good weights that we could use for actually lifting. So, um, you know, but again, you never know going into a different country what that's going to be like. But again, you can typically find protein and things like that anywhere that you go to. But I enjoyed the time. Obviously we had a great time together. Um, and, uh, really appreciate Ben's hospitality, getting to meet his family, uh, showing me around his, his home. I showed him around my home. So I'm mostly Belgian. Uh, so I got to show Ben around quite a bit uh, from there. Neither had a clue what we were talking about. <laughs> no, idea. no idea. Didn't even know what language he spoke, but anyway, no we, idea. Made it. we made it. Thanks to Mark. Yeah, Mark, um, thank you very much for uh, allowing us to have a podcast. Yeah. And thanks for listening, I guess. Yeah, check us out again on uh, We Hack Health and really appreciate all of our listeners, uh, your dedication. It's it's always great like when you're running somebody like, oh, I listen to the podcast. Uh talking to my, my friend Chris, and he's like, I listen all the time now. And he's like, it, it's, it's caused me to really focus more on my calories and being better refined with what I'm doing. So, again, you know, these small changes, you know, turn into really big things that you can do the rest of your life. And uh, that's our whole goal here is just bringing education, awareness, and, you know, living healthy lifestyles. That's, that's what we're all about. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And next podcast, I will not be in Belfast. So it was I an will, awesome trip. You'll be in Belfast, but I will yeah. not be. But uh, Ben, thanks for your hospitality. That's been great. And uh, we'll catch you all next week. Thanks for listening.